Hi there, this is Dan Delta Collins. You're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and also youtube.com slash wanderingdms. And now, enjoy the show. Hi everyone, welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan, and today on Wandering DMs, we're going to be talking about assassins, stealthy solo killers for hires. Did you know that they were the second subclass to be added to Dungeons and & Dragons? And we'll be asking the question, should they be PCs or maybe NPCs only? All that and more today on Wandering DMs. Before we get into that, as always, I will remind everyone that at the end of the show, at 2 o'clock Eastern, we will be hosting our after-party chat. That is a private video chat with uh, Dan and I and uh, any of our patrons who wish to show up. Uh, you can join that group and uh, join in on the uh, after chat by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash wandering DMs. Join at any tier and you'll get an invite to our private Discord server. And that's where we host the after chat. And hopefully we'll see you there at two. We always look forward to that every week. Um, so at the top of the show, I did, I, I'll put a little footnote. At the top of the show, I said that uh, assassins were the the second subclass to be added to D anD. d They're tied for second place because, as we all know, uh, paladins, everybody's favorite subclass, mm-hmm. uh, came out in uh, Gary Gygax's Supplement One Greyhawk, and then um, Dave Arneson's Blackmore Supplement Two to original D anD. d had both monks and assassins. So mm-hmm. there's your first three things to really be added to subclasses of D anD. d is paladins and monks and assassins. Interesting. Interesting. You know, when I was yeah. running, um, when I was first running uh, old school D&D, when I first got into it, um, this would have been around, I don't know, maybe 2008, 2010, somewhere around that time period. It started with you know, like really diving into BX as written, eventually migrated over to Labyrinth Lord, uh, or mm-hmm. Clone. and from there, I started using supplemental Labyrinth Lord material to introduce the things that I really wanted, and I introduced two subclasses. Do you know which ones, Dan? Hmm. Uh, Classic I mean, I subclasses would... I felt had to be in my game. Okay. Okay. D- d- druid and Druid and Paladin. How about that? One? Uh, close. Close. No, it's Paladin and Ranger. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, Rangers are closely connected to Druids. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna yeah. count yeah. that as one and a half, right? Similar. Similar. <laughs> there you go. Anyway, there you have it. Nice. Uh, um, should I have? Was it necessary? I don't know. It's a thing. <laughs> it was an interesting, interesting uh, stuff to experiment with back then. It's attractive, you know. It's really attractive when I, you know, think about rangers. I'm like, yeah, I kind of want, I kind of want, you know, Lord yep. of the Rings style rangers running around. Isn't doesn't doesn't make me feel bad. I think where I where I landed though was eventually you know uh, switching eventually to original edition Delta uh, where you've got this lovely table of feats and I got to the point where much like I didn't feel like the need for an illusionist never wanted an illusionist thought well just be a magic user and pick the right spells and boom you're illusionist and I think with a fighter pick yeah. the right feats and you're a paladin or pick the right feats and you're a, a ranger or a barbarian yeah yeah I agree yeah. with that yeah. I yeah. agree there with that. You go. I, I, I will say up front that one of the things I'm not fond of as a as a habit of early D&D is the proliferation of classes. I, I personally feel that that was an overabundance of classes. And obviously it gets player interest and it's it can be a selling point for a new product, as we all know. But I feel that it's it's it, what they were doing was broadly inelegant, and that there's there doesn't need to be that many classes with that many class tables I mean, running around a, the wild. This is this is such a such a tangent. I apologize, but it's a pattern we've <laughs> seen over and over again, right? In second edition, yeah. you had all the kits show up, and then it became overwhelming mm-hmm. and too much. And they said, "Great, we're going to wipe the table clean. Here's third edition, nice and clean and tidy. Uh, but how about some prestige classes?" And then you get dumped on with prestige classes. And then that, and then yeah, you know, right. <laughs> uh, fourth edition. I don't know what happened in fourth edition. Maybe this pattern happened in fourth again. And not, I'm not a fourth edition expert. Fifth edition comes along, and uh, what's the latest we've heard? Isn't there like the new updates got like a hundred classes or something stupid like? That? 
<laughs> well, the funny thing is that you know, in, in, in when fifth edition first came out, right? They did. They got. They. I mean, since since third, they got rid of the concept of subclasses, right? So subclasses was a thing in specifically in first edition. Uh, sort of went away in second, gone from third, gone from fourth, gone from fifth. And specifically the term subclasses is now back in the to be revised fifth edition. They're calling all the choices, I guess you make around third level with your, with your character, the, the subclasses. Yeah. Um, and they keep, they, they keep coming back. Yeah. And again, like, did it really disappear in second and third? I mean, are, are kits and prestige classes, not just subclasses? I guess not. They're a layer on top of, but that's kind of what sounds like what fifth edition subclasses are, right? That you start off as a fighter, and then by third, you third level, you get to pick some stuff. I should point out. Let me okay, okay. Let me yeah, just okay, let me just okay. get out for, for those that don't know this, right? So let me try to do this slightly in near chronological order, right? So the very first edition of original D anD D, right, nineteen seventy four, assassins are mentioned. They're not a, they're not a playable class. But if you if you crack open the DM's booklet, Volume Three, um, uh, you have you know how to run a dungeon, how to run a wilderness, how to run a, a, a barony, right? And you've got a list of specialists that you can hire, assuming that you own a castle. And the the single most expensive it's about ten, I think. The single most expensive specialist that you can hire is an assassin, and it specifically kind of cautions the DM. Uh, if I can pull it up here on, on my machine, uh, the assassin, the role of this hireling is self-evident. The referee will decide what chance there is of his mission being accomplished by noting the precautions taken by the intended victim. Assassins are not plentiful and some limit on the number employable during any game year must be enforced, which I don't think is said about any other specialist. So I feel like, um, and I guess they're tied with the sage for the most expensive thing that you can hire. Um, and so I feel to me, to me, this feels like, you know, coming out of war gameplay where you have maybe like in a Dave Arneson type Blackmore type situation where you have people running domains and baronies and part of that high level plays that I'm going to hire assassins and try to bump off my, my opponents off screen, I guess, for a fairly high monetary amount. And the DM has to uh, has to manage and handle that, and presumably you don't want an infinite number of assassins for for a wealthy wealthy character in existence. Uh, but that was there. And then um, in in Dave Arneson's uh, supplement to Blackmore, uh, it became a playable class, uh, specifically a subclass of thieves. Fairly high abilities. You need a, you need a twelve in strength and dex and intelligence there, which is kind of hard to do if you're just rolling three d six straight, actually. Um, a specific limit on their alignment, of course. Uh, Paul, what is the uh, what is the limit on assassin alignment in uh, in Blackmore? Um, well, let's see. This it's got to be chaotic, right? I assume it's the three. Wait, oh, original D and D is three, three alignments, alignments, right? Yeah, yep, so chaotic. Right. Yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. neutral. Neutral. Be assassins neutral? must be. Yeah, assassins must be neutral on their first appearance. Okay. Right. Sure. That's hard sure. to remember. Now, obviously, That's... when you get the first edition, that was changed. They must be some flavor of evil. Um, I mean, which is what the I'm, best? I'm more. I was just to. I was just reading this text here. Hang on, I got my, my first edition yeah, yeah, yeah. book here. Yeah. And and I just enjoyed the uh, the the high Gygaxian of this uh, description that said, um, "Let's see, yeah, uh, assassins are evil in alignment, perforce, as the killing of humans and other intelligent life forms for the purpose of profit is basically held to be the antithesis of weal." <laughs> you know that so, sticks in my head honestly yeah. <laughs> that 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 line actually really sticks in my head with with uh, and it's even useful uh, as as a guide to what Gygax was thinking about what alignment meant at the time frankly that actually is a really yeah. useful clause um yeah. and it makes sense to me and it always stuck with me and when I when I go back to original D&D &D and I see that Arneson had them neutral I have to kind of change my mindset about why why that could conceivably make sense um, yeah, it, it yeah. makes sense to me if you go back to that definition of alignment being, yeah. you know, you know, who are you aligned with, right? Who who do you have agreements with? And and mm -hmm. presumably yeah. assassin would be like, no one, I, 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 I nobody. I am a free yeah. agent. I will pay. I'll do whatever the highest bidder asks me to do. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. You can see that, right? You can totally yeah. see that. Yeah, just show yeah. me the money. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and of course, the the abilities of of assassins have always been some uh, mixture of 
Uh, they can use poison. Uh, they have a disguise ability. Uh, they certainly have sneak attack like thieves do. Maybe some kind of subset of, of from the thieves. And then a special assassination thing, which is really super different depending on what edition you're sitting in. Um, let's take we'll, it to I this event. Kind of just get into that later. Yeah, I, well, I want to talk about like what, why, why play an assassin? What are the just yeah, mechanical yeah, yeah. abilities I get for choosing to be an assassin versus any other class? Mm -hmm. And this has always been a head scratcher for me because the first thing you call out is they can use poison. Yes, I've seen yeah. this in the text of every version of assassin ever. How does it work? <laughs> uh, I, uh, right? I, I feel the text like always like, just says they can do it. And then it gives you nothing. It tells you nothing about what the hell that means or how it works. I feel like in, okay, so my, my sense is that in first edition, there like just my sense from first edition is that there's language that more or less says player characters just should not be using poison. Using poison would make you evil, take you out of the game, kablam. And mm -hmm. um, the fact that assassins are specifically allowed to use poison um, bypasses that completely fiat restriction. Um, is, is my sense of it. And then there'll be, you know, and then of course it'll say that in the player's handbook and then information about poisons is over in the DM's guide, Paul, of course. Um, and in fact, okay, little, okay, little, per, little personal anecdote actually. There is, I think in the, um, just going from memory, the DM's guide in first edition has a section on poisons and it has, I don't know, insinuative poison versus ingestive type poison. So insinuative would be that you stab them and it gets in your bloodstream ingestive you put in their food and then they, they get toxin and i think there's like five or six types of each and there was a point there was an early point where wherein um i don't think i didn't have the dm's guide and i think i borrowed somebody's and specifically took a mechanical typewriter made a copy of the dm's guide poison information and then mm -hmm. accidentally left it at my grandmother's house. <laughs> and, 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 and at some point, my poor grandmother was like, Dan, is this yours? Are you, you're, 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 you're keeping documents about poison? And I'm like, uh, sorry. Yeah, that's embarrassing. Anyway, it's in the DM's guide. I know that. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say, I mean, I've never... I can't say I've ever played a game where somebody said, aha, I'm going to get poison. And then we just like knew how to do that. Right. It was scram scrambling through the book. And then can this be right? And then either like either it was way underpowered or way overpowered. It just never, never mm -hmm. made sense. Mm -hmm. Never made sense yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, Gen I yeah. mean, I feel like in the, in the core, of course, overpowered, right? In, 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 in original D&D, there's a potion of poison. And you stab, and someone drinks it or gets stabbed, and it's save or die. Bam. Um, so I, I, I get the sense that there were early parties that were certainly, you know, wanting to make use of that overpowered situation, um, and there, and that's why these these kind of nonsensical restrictions just said you can't use poison. Came in later, right, right. But except that then you get, then you get this clause of okay, here's a class who can use poison. Good luck figuring out what the hell that means. Sign me up. Sign me up for the saber <laughs> diet, sir. Yes, please. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Um, yeah, so there you go. Okay, so I can use poison. Um, cool, I guess. Uh, I can disguise myself. I can disguise myself. Yeah. Are those, they always have like a rules for how that works. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you tell me. You've got the player's handbook in your hand. I got the player's handbook here. Okay. Uh, okay. Let me. You know what? Let me look at the Blackmore supplement. I I have that over here. So, All right. uh, okay. assassins are masters of disguise. They're able to assume dress and manners. There is only a five percent chance that an assassin will be recognized in disguise, or ten percent of the assassin is posing as a member of the opposite sex. Oh, don't do that. Um, uh, disguise checks must be made daily. Oh, here we go. <laughs> here we go, Gygax Arneson. Modify the chance downward by 1% for each one point in combined intelligence and wisdom that's below 20, which the intended victim has, i.e. a victim with a combined intelligence and wisdom of 18 only has a 3% chance of detecting the assassin. For every combined intelligence wisdom point above 24, the intended victim has a one half percent better chance of detecting disguise but dropping all fractions. And then there's some formulas here, and that's how it works. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Do, you do you think it got better or worse in AD&D? 
<laughs> probably about the same. But honestly, my guess yeah. is like same-ish. Yeah. Similarly, it just, you know, it starts off with just uh, still a lot of specific restrictions. You can disguise yourself as to appear as a human, semi-human, or humanoid of either sex. They can lower their height two to three inches or raise it up by four or five. They can make the assassin look similar or appear much heavier. Uh, slimmer or appear much heavier. Disguise can make the assassin appear virtually any class. There is, however, um, well, let me get back to it. There's a base chance of 2% per day of a disguised assassin being spotted. This chance goes upward by 2% of the assassin is posing as another class. Maximum of 8%. Each concerned party is a <laughs> in proximity. The assassin will be checked for immediately upon meeting the disguised assassin. And each 24-hour period thereafter, chance for spotting. The assassin goes downward by 1% for each point below 24 of combined intelligence and wisdom. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I can't. Okay. can't. How do they? I can't. I, I only mean, got through half the paragraph. Weird... I can't do it. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's a weird uh, mental state that they were in to, to write to write those things. And, and I get the impression that, you know, in play, they'd probably just ignore them. I don't think they'd look it up. It'd just be like, oh, this guy's works. I don't know. Okay, now look, I try to avoid this so much on this show, but I gotta call out. I I think that was Arnest. I gotta call out this like, oh, double the chance of being detected if you pose as a member of the opposite sex compared to the number of things that you might try to disguise yourself as, like possibly <laughs> a different species or a hundred pounds heavier or two feet taller or shorter or something like that. I gotta I, as as I I. The, Dressing as appear appearing as a member of the opposite gender is not the hardest thing in the universe, <laughs> right? I mean, it, it takes work, right? It takes work. I get it. It's, I salute yeah, yeah. the skill set, right? That that it, that it takes to do that. But I mean, it's not it's not instantaneous impossibility. Yeah, 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 yeah. <sighs> I don't know. You know, ugh, these rules, and and then. Like, here we are, we're looking at a subclass of Thief, and Thief has a nice table of straight, flat percentage chances. Hide in chat. Yeah. Move silent. Right? Boom, boom, mm -hmm. boom. Percent, percent, percent. Done. Why? Why is disguise so much harder? Why? Can't it just be a percent? Just like every other Thief skill? Uh, okay, I'm going to say that that's, <laughs> to me, that, that screams Arnesonian. To me, that just screams Arnesonian mishmash of percentages in a paragraph yeah, right? yeah. Oh, is God. what that feels like to me i could so, be i could be wrong okay so confusing disguise skill confusing use poison skill but yeah. we can also maybe kill people maybe let's talk about that later i want to hold i want to hold off on that because that's a whole freaking thing right but let me just let me just briefly say so here you have this this core subclass in in first edition that many of us cracked open um and um okay let me let me just throw up a um i will let me present a, a great comment by our friend hoba ogre here at the, at the top of the show um who said, I ran into Assassins when I got the first edition player's handbook. I remembered it was my first red flag for the game. Uh, I thought it was more of a profession than a class. Um, and I can see that. So, you know, the, the Assassin class in first edition is one of these classic hot buttons for, um, I guess, uh, cultural commentary about the game. And so it was one of the things that was very pointedly removed at the outset of second edition. And uh, it's interesting that here we are, you get you get Arneson's Blackmore book, introduces two classes, right? Monk and Assassin. And it's kind of wink wonky stuff, wonky aspirational stuff. You get to the transition between first edition, second edition. We did a whole uh, episode about this uh, previously, about they, they, they wrote a specific adventure called Fate of Istus that within the context of the world of Greyhawk campaign world had a plague go through the world and and change the rules of the world to match second edition and one of the things that it did is it removed monks and assassins it specifically removed the two things that dave arneson brought in the game and at the end of that adventure all assassins had to change into normal thieves and all monks were recommended to move to the different campaign world of Oriental Adventures. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so at least second edition started out right, and it, they got rid of you know for kind of for social <clears throat> um, criticism purposes, they got rid of demons, they got rid of devils, they got rid of assassins, they got rid of monks, 
And then you go forward a couple of years. Sure enough, just like you said, Paul, they come back in the kits. The complete thieves, the complete thieves guide in second edition brings back assassin as a kit. Um, and it tends to yo-yo in and out of the game like that. Third edition, it's not a core class, but you crack open the DM's guide, and sure enough, it's a prestige class. Uh, fifth edition does in fact have it as one of the archetypes are now subclasses of your rogue. So it has, um, it's, 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 it's still there, um, after having been, you know, ping ponged in and out from, from edition to edition. That's yeah. An interesting, interesting history with the assassins. Do you ever play one? I had, uh, one player. I, as DM, I did actually have one player that actually did take an assassin. And I mean, look, you have this menu of items in the player's handbook. It looks, you know, interesting and exotic. And I want to try these different things. Why is it in the book if not to use? And, you know, it at least started out as kind of a normal dungeon crawling type thing. And you could imagine, well, okay, I want someone who's stealthy, who's going to go in, take out the guards, I guess, or something like that. And um, it, it is funny because, uh, you know, maybe it was a combination of, of personalities, but the game did actually devolve to, um, I don't know, have it, having embraced the evil assassin character, the game actually did, involve, did devolve to the, to the players saying, I don't want to risk my neck in the dungeons anymore. I'm going to go around and start killing merchants and villages. Um, which which wasn't you know exactly what i intended i tried i tried to make it work and then you run into problem and i think there was the discovery that with unearthed arcana rules setting a very high price on spell books uh you could i guess bring a new player character in as a wizard assassinate them sell their spell book and that was actually uh the most profitable way to go about your dnd Mm -hmm. was was actually the safest and fastest way to get money and experience with those rules as written oh, uh and that uh that campaign didn't didn't last super long <laughs> yeah yikes i'll say you know in the first edition rogues gallery there's a there's a you know which mo which half of that book is just like hundreds of random character statistics to use and the back of it has personalities of like famous you know people that you'd know as players uh designers and their you know special characters and one of them was an assassin uh named lassiviri in the dark uh who was apparently played by alan hammock and i think he's appears there is like around eighth level or something like that and he's he's always cloaked or disguised nobody knows what he actually looks like he's got some magic rings he used poison he's got a vast network of spies and he has a vampire sword that drains levels when he hits so apparently somebody somebody managed to make apparently alan hammock made managed to make a whole campaign around an assassin character hmm. Hmm. Um, is now a good time to bring up the other place where I know of assassins being referenced in original material. Okay, Let, so Ready now to go we're going to dig into to collectively. Uh, Paul and I are going to dig into um, the fact that assassins were in lots and lots of materials in the first edition era. Um, and I will pop in and say, first of all, um, uh, the world of Greyhawk. Right, you get the world of Greyhawk campaign setting. There's assassins all over the place. Um, mm -hmm. there are, uh, the city of Greyhawk has a guild of assassins and the, what the guild master of assassins mm -hmm. is one of the like half dozen people on the controlling committee of the city. Actually, most cities mm -hmm. have, have a guild of assassins with a guild master. Um, there, uh, frequently bands of brigands are led by assassins. Uh, numerous small, like bandit states have leaders that are assassins. And there is a, a nation state called the Scarlet Brotherhood that's entirely devoted to developing the, Ars the Arnasonian types of uh, monks and assassins and thieves. And assassins are the second most powerful clique, I guess I would say. They're called the Foster Uncles. And that kind of secretive country has spies all throughout the world of Greyhawk with their thieves and assassins and monks. So you see, and you see it in all kinds of adventures. Um, 
So I could I could rattle off some, but what 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 is the one that you're thinking of? I mean, that's setting I, mean, I just I just wanted to talk a little bit there about how how guilds are built into the assassin class. Yeah, like certainly the that's a first great. edition AD and D yeah. description in in my mm-hmm. player's handbook here talks all about about the guild and being a guildmaster. It's even the title of one of the levels, right? You get to fourteenth level, you're guildmaster. Thank you for bringing that up. Actually, I was going to overlook that because that's a really important thing. Those those subclasses of that, the exotic subclasses of that era, right? They tend to have this, like you're like you're saying, built into the campaign, rigid structure to the organization. And you're right. In in original first edition, specifically says basically every city, basically every city or city sized state is going to have a guild and going to have a guild master of assassins if you could pull up paul the the image of uh where did i put it here um uh the image that has a green dot on it that i've got prepared Mm -hmm. so here's the experience table here's the experience table for assassins in the blackmore supplement circa 1976 and uh you can see that there's an end to it like a lot of the you know normal the normal classes don't have an upper end to it but at the top, the top end, it goes senior assassin, expert assassin, chief assassin, prime assassin, guild master of assassins. And you notice that guild master of assassins doesn't have an XP number, right? Mm. And the rule in original D&D is that anybody of, uh, I think, assassin level or higher can just challenge the current guild master to a duel and kill them. And regardless of your level, you're now guild master of assassins. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't get there by XP, and obviously that was changed in first edition. But what a wild difference of a mechanic that is! Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, You're supposed to challenge them to open combat. Shouldn't you sneak into their house and kill them while they're sleeping? Wouldn't that I, well? That's be what a I better thought. way to prove your abilities as an assassin than one on one combat out in the open. <laughs> right, and that's what first edition says, right? Um, it says any any twelfth level assassin. I guess any prime. I get okay. Well, I'm sorry, just one level back. So just prime assassins may challenge the guildmaster to a duel to the death. And if the former is vic- victorious, he becomes guildmaster. That's what it says. Wrong. It doesn't seem like you're being a, a good assassin if you're openly challenging right, I someone. Agree. I challenge you to a duel. <laughs> <laughs> What does first edition say? Like you can challenge them a duel and then like like ambush them with archers or something like that. <laughs> I think that's what they say, <laughs> right? So it's it's interesting how they 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 and then and then also I'll say first edition adds uh, takes that out. You have to get there by experience, and then they add one more level at the top called the Grandfather of Assassins. That sounds like there's just one of them in the world, and you have to go to some exotic location. Maybe the Scarlet Brotherhood, perhaps, and try to try to kill them in order to become the grandfather of assassins. All right, you were asking me the the material I know assassins from mm-hmm. the most is uh, my copy here of L two Assassins Knot, right there in the title, The Assassins Knot by Len Lakofka. Um, I'm a huge fan of L one uh, Bone Hill. Great, great mm-hmm. starting module. Awesome for kicking off a campaign. It's very sandboxy. Um, you know, it it doesn't really have a plot, right? If you read L1, they're like, is there a plot here? Not really. It's kind of just a sandbox of there's a bunch of stuff going on and there are some dungeons in there that you can go explore, but it doesn't tell you why. <laughs> there's, an assassin, there's an assassin in the wilderness. I'll say among the, the, the people you can run into the L1, there's an assassin in the wilderness of L1. So L2 is a radical change from that and frankly, much to my dis- personal disappointment, um, L2 is, by its own description, a murder mystery. It says it right there in the text. This is a murder mystery. Um, and specifically, the whole plot revolves around someone being assassinated. Okay, spoilers now for L2. Uh, if you haven't read L2, you can see uh, my, uh, this copy was given to me by a friend who kept rabbits, and so the rabbits got at the <laughs> module, unfortunately. But, uh, okay, that's not the spoiler. Spoiler for L2. So, the main villain is a dual class cleric assassin. Um, and in according to the plot, basically, in the very beginning, when you get into this, it tells you that they uh, specifically disguise themselves three times to throw off the scent of anyone investigating the assassination. They, they specifically 
put on three different disguises and are purposefully like laying false red herrings as these other people to try and lay, you know, try and uh, get the scent off of them before they then go in and, and ultimately kill the Baron of Restenford. Here's here's a couple interesting facts about that. Uh, did they did they roll the the one percent um, or whatever it is? How did how did that work? I wonder. Does that character have to walk in? If they walk into a tavern, do you roll for every person in the tavern to see if they see through the disguise? Okay, forget that. Um, Second thing, fascinating. That's a dual class. Um, you know, I'm going to explain had, that. That's yeah, very yeah. common. Okay, so a yeah. uh, that's probably a half orc, right? What the dual class? What are you yeah. explaining? Uh, that character, right? Who's cleric, yeah. uh, assassin. Uh, has to be a half cleric, I believe, in first edition rules. I know. They're the only I, race that's permitted that combination. No, no because it's uh, again, what? no, they're human. They're human because they're not oh, multi class oh, and they're oh, dual oh. class. My dual. bad, my mistake. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. the correction. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Dual class okay. cleric assassin. Okay. <laughs> what I find fascinating right. about that is that clearly they went through some pains to give this character a very legitimate front. Right? No, no, no. They're just a cleric, mm -hmm. right? And and I think yeah, that's okay. that's very cool and interesting. And like maybe now, do I not have to roll disguise values because it's not a disguise? They really are a cleric, mm -hmm. also an assassin, right? Um, and it just brings me to this point of I don't know. I got a, I have a lot of problems with this module. Uh, <laughs> uh, a lot a lot of the plot it feels very forced and silly, and it is very linear, um, and you know, makes makes assumptions about how how the players are going to figure stuff out and where they're going to end up. Um, so it's just the total opposite of the of L one's lovely, yeah. you know, uh, uh, kind of sandbox nature. Yep. Um, why make him an assassin at all? Could have just been a cleric. Could have just been yeah. a cleric who kills people. Yeah. Yeah. Eh. Yeah. And this is, this is it, like if I get back to like. Um, I in college played an assassin briefly. Oh, okay. For a, for a little while in a campaign that I was playing it. Okay. Um, it, we were using a different weird rule set. It wasn't even D and I I don't want to get too much into the details, but like, uh, here's the interesting thing. Why do I say I played an assassin? Not because I had a special character class of type assassin. I played a character who was a thief magic user, multi class. Mm -hmm. uh, specifically chose spells to help with thiefy type things, right? So I was taking like invisibility and fly and like just all the kinds of things that would help someone sneak in and out of places. And then my character took money to kill people. <laughs> there you go. I was an assassin. That, that tracks. <laughs> yeah. That tracks. That's so, what you call that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like the whole like, making a class for it, making an organization around it, having the whole guild and et cetera, et cetera, it just starts to seem ludicrous to me. Like, is it well known that you're assassins? It's, right? Are you, do you have your, like, assassin ID card? That seems preposterous to me. I feel like assassin you should know, just be a thing you just do, not a class. <laughs> okay, I, I, I will say, I, I, can, I can sympathize with it, where this came from, of course, mm -hmm. and I think, you know, many or most of us know that, you know, his, in, in real world history, right, uh, the assassins, you know, the word assassin comes from a particular religious sect that was active in the Middle East in the, uh, around, I think, 1090 to 1250 or something like that. And uh, my totally amateur understanding of Arabic etymology is that the word it comes from a word that basically means fundamentalists. Um, so it was right. The, the, the real world idea, the real world order of assassins was a very regimented hierarchical mm. structure where only particular people of a, a very small subset could be authorized to carry out killings. And I can totally understand why the, 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 the first instinct of the first game designers would be to recreate that. And so you have this, this uh, recreation of a very hierarchical, very structured Assassin's Guild running through the early editions. And if it you know, needs to become something else later on, so be it, I guess. Uh, but I think, they're, I think they're trying to conjure the, the, the real world order of Assassins a little bit, I think. 
I don't mind even having necessarily having an organization that is organized yeah. around assassination. I just don't see a need for it to be a class. It seems weird to me. I agree. <laughs> I don't disagree. I don't disagree. And I'll also say as a little as a little side note why I was jumping on, oh, that character needs to be half work because uh, for 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 multi-classing, right? For multi-classing yeah. in first edition, only half orcs were allowed to be uh, cleric assassins. And unless I'm totally hallucinating. And the funny thing is, remember that non-humans always had uh, rather strict level limits. So, for example, a half-orc in first edition can only be a fourth-level cleric, right? Uh, they could be a tenth-level fighter. They could, they're limited to like an eighth-level thief. But uniquely, they can be unlimited level an assassin. I mean, all of, you, of course, assassins themselves only go up to like 15th level or whatever. Um, so if you want to make a high level, an arbitrarily high level, powerful half orc in first edition, your best bet is to take a cleric assassin because you get all the heavy armor from clerics, you get all the bladed weapons as an assassin, and then you can proceed to an indefinitely high level with the assassin track. So um, through those early editions, uh, half-orc cleric assassins are super, super common, particularly at high-level play because of that. I, I, want, I want to briefly touch on, and I'm sorry, Dan, if I'm stealing your thunder here. Mm -hmm. um, you pointed out, I, I, I was looking for references to assassins. The other place I found them is, is my copy of, the new copy of Swords and Wizardry. Um, yeah. And you have a graphic here. Can I show this graphic? Is this all right? Please, please do. Jump in the gun. Great. I thought that was so, interesting. Yeah. So this is promotional material for Stories and Wizardry. The book shows open and happens to be on the page for Assassins, which is fascinating. Um, and so I was like, I don't know. I started reading into Assassin. There are some interesting choices in the Stories and Wizardry presentation of Assassin. Uh, okay. and, I'm, and this is coming up for me because you're talking about half-orcs being allowed to go to any level of Assassin. And then I wanted to look up, like, well, what other races can be Assassins? I don't think there's any limit, right? Like, any... Any race can be an assassin, is that true? In first edition, first edition? Uh, yeah. everybody but halflings is what I see. But, but halflings, no halfling assassins. They're just too no. jolly. Um, in like Swords of Wizardry, Wizardry, only humans. The end. Okay. All right. Only humans. Hmm. Um, I think they might... Now, if, he, if, 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 uh, if, if our friend Matt Finch is basing it on original D&D. Uh, original D&D specifically said that only humans will become assassins per Dave Arneson in, in Blackmore. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. No. No. Allowing other races is some kind of weirdo Gygaxian uh, corruption of the original concept. So, uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> there's 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 a nice uh, little uh fight club homage here about uh it immediately starts talking about the assassins guild and it says of course that the first rule of the assassins guild one might say is that no one talks about the assassins guild okay okay <laughs> i found okay. very amusing there's a section <laughs> about poison which again is a delightful head scratcher for me uh he tells us that assassins are able to use poison um on their weapons without the risk of making basic errors. Fighters who coat their swords with poison might just might make a mistake of absentmindedly rubbing their eyes before remembering to wash the deadly toxin off their hands. <laughs> Assassins are all afraid of such basic errors when using poison. <laughs> that's I, I, the, 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 the idea is not really familiar with, but that's a nice I don't know. I, piece I'm hoping of there's more stuff in here about poison somewhere. I haven't found it yet. Uh, I can't, I didn't look super hard, but I'm like, is there some rule about using poison on your sword and maybe you accidentally screw it up and poison yourself? I and, feel and like that might be the only place. I feel like I get it. to me that has the sense of we needed that rule, but it only appears here in the assassin poison ability to make it special. But it doesn't give me stats. It doesn't tell me what percentage chance my fighter might accidentally rub his eyes. I don't know. No numbers. Yep. No die roll. Uh, yep. Yep. Anyway, apologies to Matt Finch if I'm picking on your, your stuff here. Um because no, I haven't I think it's very... to it. But I bet I wouldn't I, mean, I, I wouldn't was... be surprised to discover there's a, maybe a section of poison in the rules for using it. I thought it was very interesting that this is the spotlight, mm -hmm. right? This is this this is the sales spotlight <laughs> for the, the promotional imagery for uh the, the recent Swords and Wizardry Kickstarter this past summer that you want assassins, we got assassins. I mean, of course, it does tend to be alphabetically the first class, yeah, right? Like, so for in first edition, if you alphabet, if you if you alphabetize the classes, it comes out first. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe maybe they're just showing. Maybe that's just the the intention. There's just the first page of all the classes that we have. Maybe I, I will say this: as someone who is about to launch his own Kickstarter and had to make mock-ups of a book that doesn't exist, had to do that. Um, yeah, you want the open page to be visually interesting. And and looking at this, I've got a nice big header. I've got a nice piece of art. I've got a couple tables. Good choice. Good choice for your marketing material. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Regardless right. of whether it's assassins or fighters or any other class. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it could have just as easily given the spread on magic users. Again, nice, yeah. nice blocking there. Although I, maybe even the assassins better because it's blocked out into a couple. I agree. Shots. I agree. It's, it's a visually appealing point. spread. <laughs> so. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. I agree. That's probably why. Yeah. yeah. Also, hey, we got okay. assassins. If you don't buy this, <laughs> also it's assets. But I do. Want, uh, I want to talk about the mechanics. I really want to talk about the mechanics of the the special assassination ability because okay. for me, this is one of the places whereby I, I you know, uh, first learned it as in its state in first edition, and when I uh, first me came late to original D anD. d and saw Assassins in the Blackmore Supplement, I had this big aha, one of, one of my larger aha moments of, oh, this makes so much more sense in, in original D&D, actually. So here, I'm, here I, I guess I'm praising Dave Arneson. <laughs> so um, the table, there's a, I have a table with a blue dot on it. Oh, not that one. See, that's first edition. That comes later. That's advanced D&D. There you go. And not that go. the table's gonna whole, look a whole lot different, but you got a table and you have level of assassin compared to level of victim, and it comes up with percentage chance of assassination. Now, really, that's not really the the the, the super interesting part of this, but to me, the part of it that, and I'm, it's a huge block of text, so we're not gonna put it on screen here, but the text to assassins in original d and Blackmore Supplement Remember, assassins were initially an NPC specialist that you could hire in, in the original mm-hmm. D&D book, right? And just said, there's going to be some chance. There's gonna, when you hire an assassin, there'll be some chance that the DM must adjudicate that they kill the victim, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. most of the, mo- a lot of the, the text for the assassins in Blackmore basically is an elaboration, to my reading, an elaboration on that, what happens when you hire an NPC assassin? And so it has a paragraph on cost. It says the cost per mission, as shown in volume three of Original Dungeons and Dragons, is based on the hiring of a sixth level assassin here, right? Reduce the amount by this percentage and increase the amount by this percentage for, for higher or lower level assassins that you hire, right? And 10% of the fee goes to the guildmaster. Um, and then it also, and then under experience, it says assassins gain experience for successful assassination. So if a fee is paid, mission's completed, you get experience of some number formula, such and such, right? So to me, and the, the, on this table here, which is several pages later, the very short little note, it just says base chance for successful assassination will be dependent upon the level of the assassin, the victim, the referee will make further adjudications necessary to particular case circumstances. So at no point here, right, which is different from later editions, at no point does it talk about being in combat. At no point does it talk about surprising the victim. At no point does it talk, you know, on an encounter level basis. To my reading, this entire table is just talking about what happens when you hire an NPC and send them off screen to do the mission. Right, and this mm-hmm. specifically answers the problem in uh, the original Little Brown books of how do you decide whether the assassin that you hired succeeds or not? It's this table. It's not meant to be an incombatibility. It's meant to adjudicate a campaign level thing that's not happening in front of the characters. And that makes sense. If you yep. can hire assassins and send them off this table, the initial intent was to answer that question of does the guy that you hire succeed or not and that actually makes sense to me yeah for sure i mean it, it reminds me a lot of the use of sages which frankly are a, a, a thing mm-hmm. that i love to use in my campaigns uh and my my players have always loved it of like okay well we need this information and we don't want to waste a ton of table time figuring it out we hire someone to go find out for us great excellent give me give me some money well some game time will pass we'll hand wave it don't worry about it um, exactly. Maybe I'll tell some story about how the character came up with the information or not. 
Yep, yep. exactly. I agree yep. with that. And then when you flip, right, so again, that was Dave Arneson's work, as far as we can tell. Mm -hmm. And then if you flip to where I have the, the, the purple dot that you had up red. So here is the first edition uh, assassinations table. It's in a DM's guide. It's funny because it's prominently on the same pages with all the basic attack rolls, right? So just two hits and saving throws and assassinations. Those are the three core things, core things in first edition that obviously you need on these tables. And mm. here it's changed, right? So once, you know, Gygax here has modified the intent of it. So it's not an off-screen mission thing. Now it's a specific in-combat ability. And the assassin in question needs to surprise the victim. Um, uh, and then, uh, and, and there's also an asterisk here that says, or you could use this table for anybody that, that surprises somebody who's totally helpless, right? Mm -hmm. and, and in one attack, this, you get this percentage chance to outright just eliminate, kill the victim. Even if you don't make this chance, you still get a hit automatically. And if your your weapon is poisoned, they have to save versus poison anyway. So now it's become this very specific. To me, this was so weird. This was this was yeah. so weird about adjudicating the surprise and do you see them? And I guess I'm supposed to like it. Actually, says something about like reduce it for defenses. And I'm like, what defenses? What are you talking about? Again, that makes sense in a campaign level of like, oh, I've got a castle and lots of guards. But if this is like round number three and I'm, sta I'm standing next to you, what defenses could there be other than just your AC and your awareness? So um, it's one of these things that evolved from a very coherent solution to a particular problem to something that's become more Baroque and kind of hard to make sense of. Um, but here, in, here you are in first edition and you have in that situation, you have this chance to just outright kill an opponent, like William said at the top of the show, uh, completely bypassing the opponent's hit points. And uh, and then as you go forward in additions, this idea is maintained. Sometimes they call it the assassin death strike ability. And it's slight, you know, and as usual, it gets dialed down a little bit. So I think in, in third edition, um, I think it becomes like a saving throw to be killed, right? You, you pull, the, pull off the assassination strike, by surprise, and then honestly, there's a fairly easy uh, save versus die saving throw. And uh, currently, the assassin ability in fifth edition, if I recall correctly, uh, you hit him by surprise, and there's a saving throw, or you take double damage. So now it's down to it's down to down to just double damage, I guess. And I and I think in fifth edition you have to be seventeenth level to get that ability. Huh? Huh? Yeah. Weird. Right. Weird. Yeah. Right. It's definitely very. Range. And and I, and I would say um, it, it really strikes me as like they're struggling to retrofit a concept into the rules that are, already exist, right? We are already very used to poison long before the assassin shows up, right? Lots of monsters mm -hmm. have, yeah. but there's, there's a poison potion, right? We know how poison works. If you accidentally ingest it or get stabbed with it, you make a saving throw or you die, the end. And so it just seems very natural. And I can't tell you how many players I've had who, when after encountering their first monster with poison, they're then immediately saying, how do I get the poison out of that thing? I want that. Right. Right. <laughs> right. 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 So exactly. like, like trying to attach this to a character skill makes no sense to me. Maybe, maybe what I could see is giving the assassin an ability of, you know how to harvest venom from monsters. Okay. That would okay. be cool. I'd be down for that. But this idea that like they know how to use poison, good luck figuring out what that means, or then adding some special death strike skill that approximates to me sounds like just put poison on your weapon. Like what what's the difference? I'm gonna <laughs> I'm, so I think that okay, so you know, the the reason this was on my mind, uh part of the reason was on my mind, uh, aside from the uh, Swords and Woodsworth Kickstarter, is that a question showed up on Stack Exchange RPG forum. Um, that I visit once in a while. And what this question was, is about a week ago, was a, a fifth edition DM. And in their campaign, one of the characters had gone off on a solo, uh, got to kill uh, an enemy fighter while they're sleeping mission. And they played through with the, with the one character at the table, uh, played through sneaking into their base, um, infiltrating the area, avoiding all the guards, and did actually wind up totally 
undetected, standing over the victim while they're sound asleep in the middle of the night holding a weapon. And mm -hmm. so the DM had to decide, totally defenseless, can't defend themselves at all, in the fiction, if, if, this, if this character holds a dagger to their throat and just slits their throat, is there any possible way that this could fail at this point? And the, the fifth edition DM said, I arbitrarily by fiat said, yes, you, at this point, you automatically can hit them in a, uh, a sensitive area and they're automatically dead. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, one of the other players and the DM's asking, did I do something wrong? Because one of the other players strenuously objected and said, that's not in the rules. You're breaking, you're breaking the fifth edition rules here. Uh, and, and, I, and I don't like that. I think that the, the consensus of the answers was, was, you know, was largely, yes, you're the DM and you can do whatever you want. Uh, mm -hmm. But if you're going to change rules in this way, you should have made it, you should have communicated this possibility to all the players at the outside of the campaign. Because your fifth edition players are going to be building characters and digging very deeply into the elaborate rule set and if you start permitting special abilities um, that weren't documented, then a player like that has a legitimate grievance and is going to be upset. Mm -hmm. um, and so I found it interesting that basically, you know, 50 years on, our, our fifth edition DM, their instinct was exactly the same as an early DM, but working in the structure of fifth edition, they were running into a lot of static. And I feel like maybe you need an assassination table. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you shouldn't have even done that solo with the one character. Apparently all the other players were sitting there while you did this with the one character. So maybe it would have actually been a solution to send the one character off screen and then just resolve that by a single roll with an assassination table. Maybe that would have been a more elegant solution. Yep. Yep. I can see that. I can see that. I also, I mean, in that situation, of course, now I'm immediately questioning, like, wait, what is the rule for, like, coup de grace in, in fifth edition? I don't know off the top of my head, but, like, certainly in an earlier edition game, you wouldn't argue you need an assassination table to say, well, my magic user casts sleep on the bad guy. I, I walk up next to him and I, and I stab him in the heart, right? Like, yeah, we allow that, right? Like, that, I th that I, happens. I think in fifth edition, I think, uh, my, and, I, and again, I'm, I might be a little shaky. I don't think they have a coup de grace rule. Anytime that comes up, someone says that was a third edition rule. That's not in fifth edition. You have the capacity to crit someone, and uh, you have, I think they have an optional rule for massive damage, right? So people tend to say, if you manage to hit the, ma the massive damage number, then they're going to be eliminated, I think. Uh, but I don't think they have a, a coup de grace rule. And. Um, you know, first edition has has a line where it just says, you know, if you if you attack someone who's totally completely helpless, they're just eliminated in one round. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, and I, I guess technically by the letter of fifth edition, that's nothing like that in there now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so it's a common. I've seen this in yeah. RPGs, you know, a number of times. Of like, I've got someone totally helpless, and someone's got their dagger to their throat. It could be a villain, right? Is a threat. Mm -hmm. Right, or mm -hmm. it could be in a, in a modern game a gun to the head. Right, is there, you know, can they just automatically eliminate them? And that continues to be a, a source of real contention. Handling that, yep. someone's going to say obviously yes, and someone else is going to say that's not in the rules. Right, right, and and probably their opinions change based on whether uh, they are perpetrating the act or being the victim of it. There you go. <laughs> There you go. Yeah. Or, or uh, seeing someone benefit, apparently in this case, seeing someone benefit from him and, and I guess being jealous, I guess. Yeah, I, I guess. I, I think often that comes from a perspective of defensiveness of like, oh God, what, what door are we opening up to that's going to happen to me down the road, right? If, I'm, if an NPC gets me in this position, am I also going to lose my character just like that? That's legit. But, but that's legit. I am, I'm absolutely projecting... On this on this third hand account that I only just got from you, so who knows? And yeah, you know, in the in the black, I'll say just to agree with you in the Blackmore sense. Uh, you know, if, if I'm sending assassins against other player characters in the campaign, can can just a single percentile roll just wipe out a player character? That's that would be that might be a little tough to swallow, honestly. 
eh, do you want save or die in your game or not? Right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, I'm sleeping. <laughs> yeah, we are, we are, we are out of time. We're out of time. Uh, I'm just going to give this one quick little, little teaser. The thing that I didn't get to, uh, we were talking about assassins, not a little bit, uh, and about the appearance of assassins just as a plot device in adventure. I wanted to compare that, frankly, to Shadows Over Bokenhofen, um, which you can see us run through in the early episodes of Ten Dead Rats, uh, where there's totally an assassination happens, and and I would say handled much better in this module, much better. Okay. Okay. So, uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit about that in the after chat. I would look forward to that. Any so, final so final thought, Paul, from you, uh, should assassins be their own class? Absolutely not. I think that's uh, ridiculous, and I don't want them at all. Uh, I think it should just be a thing you do. I think I I basically concur. I think it's 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 overly extravagant to have them as their own class. I would I would like thieves, rogues, or thieves to be doing that kind of thing. But those abilities, you know, if it, if it was a menu of, of 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 abilities to choose from, I think that's legitimate. If there was a feat like system, I think that's okay. Uh, you know, fifth edition subclasses system is not the honestly not the craziest thing in the world, and um, if if you do have like a consistent rule for attacks on helpless people, uh, yep. that would make sense for everybody. <clears throat> uh, a consistent rule for use of poison is would solve some of these frustrations, and if you are playing high level campaign play and you actually are hiring assassins and sending them off to do jobs or spies. Um, having some kind of legitimate rule to handle that is not bad either. So a yep. lot of these bits and pieces, yes, but the the one dedicated class, I'm I'm not up for it. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm all for having a systemized way to handle off screen assassination. I think that makes sense. That's just like mm -hmm. sages in my mind. Yeah, sure, why not? But I could see wanting to systemize that for really any any off screen task you're going to hire someone to go do that may succeed or fail. Right? Like I don't know. Um. I'm all for that, uh, but but yeah, uh, it, I don't think it requires custom mechanics. Um, I don't mind players exploring the idea of I want to become an assassin, but again, it should, in my mind, that should be more of a role play experience of just so is there an assassin's guild in my game? Let me invent that content to do it. Does you know? Does my is my player approached by someone and offered money to kill someone? Cool. That's okay. Mm -hmm. You could do that, and, um, and it even makes sense in campaign that, like, do I want do I want to send someone in who's like, like, what's your class, assassin, or what's your class? I'm a wizard, yeah, right? Yeah, I've, yeah. I've actually got magical spells, right? I, you know, no problem. It, it would actually seem like a more coherent uh, uh, mission statement to actually pick someone who's not, you know, not doesn't have an assassin ID card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little, little weird. Uh, viewers, if you have an opinion uh, for or against assassins as a as a playable class with custom mechanics, uh, leave us a comment in the comment section here of the YouTube video. We'd really love to hear your opinions. Maybe you disagree with us. That's okay. Uh, we'd uh, we'd love to hear it and maybe uh, you know maybe have further discussion. Definitely. And of course, remember that you can like, follow, and subscribe to us, the Wandering DMs. We are on YouTube and Twitch and Twitter and Facebook and GitHub and TikTok or whatever they're called these days. And we have the handle Wandering DMs on all of those sites. So look for us there and you get updates on upcoming shows. If you prefer to listen to our show in audio-only podcast format, you can find those uh, podcasts on our website at wanderingdms.com. Also through other podcast carriers such as Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, iTunes, uh, Pocket Cast was the one that I was promoting last week. Check out Pocket Cast, I like them. Uh, if the site that you're using to find our podcast uh, offers the ability to do so, please rate and review our show. That helps us out a lot, uh, makes other users of that site uh, aware of us and able to find us, and we really appreciate it. We really do. And of course, big thanks to our patrons who support the show here. If you'd like to join them, please visit patreon.com slash wanderingdms. You'll see our different benefits, including, like Paul said at the top of the show, access to our Discord server where the conversation is always continuing. And our after-party chat that we have every Sunday will be there in about 10 minutes to continue the conversation. Maybe talk more about Shadows Over Bogenhaven or other examples from first edition D&D &D that we didn't get to talk to. Uh, talk about like like there's an assassin in the 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 sinister secret of salt marsh that drives me crazy drives me nuts um <laughs> that uh, that maybe i'm going to complain about in the after chat a little bit uh but that'll uh we'll be there in about 10 minutes 
So other stuff on the uh, the channel. I'll be back Thursday night, uh, eight thirty p.m. Uh, as I as a for the for the end game of Pool of Radiance that I'm playing through for a while. So look for that. And of course, uh, Paul and I are live here every Sunday, one p.m. Eastern time. So please join us again next week for another thought provoking discussion. We'll see you then.